papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. The Media Project is underway. It's a half hour of commentary and analysis on the issues confronting the news media these days with some veteran journalists here to lead the conversation, and we invite you to join us. I'm Rex Smith, formerly editor of the Times Union and The Record in Troy, and next to me here is Judy Patrick, the former editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady. You doing okay, Judy? I'm glad to be here. (laughs) That's good. We're (laughs) glad that you're here. Ira Fessfeld, a longtime publisher in the old days, and before that, he was the editor of the Daily Freeman and Associated Public in Kingston. Hello, Rex. Hello, Ira. And the news director of WAMC, Ian Pickus, is here. Hi, everybody. I hope you like our new time slot on our home station. We're starting on Fridays now, which is nice. Yeah, it's a good thing because it makes the show more timely. So if you're in the local market, it's 3 o'clock on Friday and 6 p.m. on Sunday. So please be sure to tune in. Yeah, we hated being old news because often when the show aired, what we had talked about was old news, and being in the news business, we know the lack of value in old. Which is why people don't pay much attention to their print newspapers anymore, right? Oh. Because it's old by the time it arrives on the doorstep, because everything has to be printed so much earlier since there are fewer presses actually operating. In fact, where is the Gazette printed these days? Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah, wow. Springfield That's is going to be an d- interesting delivery issue. Well, especially in the winter. We'll see how that goes. Well, and the wonderful press at the Times Union publishes the newspapers from Connecticut. But the Times Union itself is laid out in Connecticut and then printed in Albany. And Buffalo shut down its printing presses earlier this summer. It's a real issue around the state. There are a lot of newspapers, hundreds of them still out there publishing, but finding a printing plant has become more and more of a challenge. Since the news is delivered so much more efficiently digitally anyway, or over the airwaves, we have to say, since we are, after all, right here, miraculously, on radio. (laughs) Right here, right now. Yeah, how about that? We ought to do the show live. Oh, Judy. Oh, that would be a bad idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> we, we've done it a couple of times in front of an audience. Yeah, 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 live to tape. Well, that was fun. Anyway, what we really need to talk about here today is the big news of, of the world. Uh, even though we are local journalists sitting in a studio in upstate New York, what's going on in that small geographic strip called Gaza in the Mideast is of huge consequence. Two million people crowded into an area about a third smaller than Schenectady County, by the way. Think about that. And that is a place that is a tinderbox that has now exploded And one of the things that it has done is it has, I think, shown both heroic reporting and also some of the perils of misinformation. We have seen examples of that all around, right, of both. We've seen some notable coverage. One of the few places that actually has full-time staff on the ground, the Jean-Sprance Press, has a camera on the balcony of their office that actually shows a live feed of what's going on in Gaza. And it's terrifying sometimes. It makes you wonder what it takes for these journalists to do that job. 
It occurs to me, you know, because so much is being raised about the intelligence failures on behalf of Israeli's defense forces, but not having reporters in Gaza, most people don't, or if they do, they're freelancers using pseudonyms, as I understand it. That may have put the news media just as behind as Israel was in knowing about this attack and then responding to it. Yeah. Yeah, traditionally, you haven't had a lot of Western journalists in Gaza because it's a repressive form of government, and it hasn't been receptive to being covered by the press. That is always an issue. Covering any war is a challenge, and as we sit here, we know that this will only escalate in the days ahead. And my advice to everyone who watches news is to be careful about what you believe. And at a time when trust in the news media is so low, it's important for us to be as accurate as we can, to share as much information discreetly or judiciously as possible. So much bad information out there. If it seems unbelievable, check it, double check it, and look for for it being reported by a mainstream news source before you share it. I think that's an important point because if you just pick up what you're looking at on X, formerly Twitter, or on social media, you're likely to, to get bad information. This is a, a where it is very useful to have the power of a dependable news source, which these days, of course, has been attacked by especially the former president. But this shows you the value of having useful news sources that you can turn to. Well, it also includes video, which is presumably not doctored, but in fact, it may be flat out wrong, maliciously posted or what. There are examples of videos that are not current, have nothing to do with this war, and people are absorbing it and believing what they see. You just have to be very careful. I have a question that I've asked on the radio this morning as we speak, and that is, at what point in time do you think the public is going to get tired of the war? Mm. And as that relates to the media, at what point in time will the media say fewer people are watching or we're investing so much money bringing the anchors to the war zone? Is that necessary? And thus, should we be devoting 20 minutes of a half-hour evening newscast to this subject when we know that the public will eventually be worn out by it? Well, we're a year and a half now into the invasion of Ukraine. That naturally did happen. When it started in that February, that was wall-to-wall coverage. And now it's still covered very closely, but you've got to seek it out more. It's probably not leading most of the, the cable news. Although this seems like something of a different situation, at least the way that we're responding to it domestically in the U.S., especially in New York State, where we are. There are such close ties to Israel that I imagine the attention might be more sustained given the fact that Netanyahu has promised a really all-out assault on Gaza now. The danger, I think, might be that it becomes in the American media a political story, that it becomes a story that is primarily viewed through the lens of the internecine war in the Republican Party. The same thing is going to be going on with funding for Ukraine. Uh, The Republican Party is deeply divided on that issue as well, right? And I think that while that would keep the story alive, it would not be writing about the peril of what's going on in the war. It would be writing about the easy who's winning and who's losing in politics. Well, I just think it's bound to happen because it's happened before, that you, you you have a major story such as this one, which is appropriately getting virtual wall-to-wall coverage, particularly on the cable news programs. But as I alluded to earlier, the nightly newscasts are almost entirely of the war. They move the anchors to the zone to suggest to the readers how important the story is. And people at some point are going to get worn out. Now, that may not be a reason to stop the coverage, 
But I think it's bound to happen that you're not going to see the same amount of coverage and it's going to start fading away and out of our consciousness Mm -hmm. because there has been so much of it for so long. It happened with Vietnam, but Vietnam was pre-cable. Your primary sources of information then was newspapers and Walter Cronkite. And when Walter Cronkite turned on Vietnam, the the war turned around. But right now, you just can't turn on anything and not see the war appropriately so in my view but it's only been four days in let's see what's going to happen in four months Mm -hmm. or less you know i've been curious about what the media has chosen to air or not air or print in terms of the brutality the barbarity that's happened over there because we're hearing reports of just extreme cruelty extreme images that, that are there and the question becomes how much of that do you put on your front page how much do you put that on your home page and how much you know video do you resurface I imagine in the days to come, we may see horrific videos coming out of Gaza of what's happened. And do we need to show this? Is it important to make this resonate with the American public so they keep paying attention? Or do we show some restraint? That's a very interesting question because Americans don't like we're told, seeing really gruesome images. Although people look at it all the time in movies, it's just real-life gruesome images they don't wish to see. And we're not just talking about wars. We're talking about local accidents. People don't want to see the victims of accidents on the front page. Right. But some of the editors and producers who have seen that stuff, like the editor of Haaretz, the largest newspaper in Israel, says, once you have seen these images, you cannot unsee them. She sees everything, of course, and decides what to publish and what not to. But would it make a difference if we were showing that? And here's the other question, too. If you show the attacks of Hamas on Israel, will you likewise show what seem to be similar attacks beginning as Israel moves into Gaza? That's going to be a challenge for journalists as well, because there are certain societal biases that are reflected in the news coverage. And part of it is unavoidable because Israel allows the free flow of information. Gaza does not. And then there are some cultural links between our countries that make a difference. But it is important for news judgments to be made fairly that will accurately reflect everything for the audience here. Two points on that. One, I think, because I don't have a lot of interest in watching these videos from everything I've read. They are horrific. I've found myself clicking away from some of the more gory photos and videos that were posted. It's upsetting. I think the news outlets have an important role to play here in verifying the footage and saying, yes, this is true. This is not an arrest that happened in Azerbaijan that's being repurposed to look like an atrocity. This is actual footage. We have verified it. We are putting Haaretz's name on this and we stand by the reporting. And that can be very important for users so that they know what they're seeing is true as opposed to just a raw feed on Twitter. And along those lines to what Rex was saying, it's been interesting for me here at WAMC to see a sampling of the reaction to the coverage of the war because it is really a true Rorschach test. I mean, we're seeing it in politics, we're seeing it in media. How far back do you go into the history of the Middle East to tell the story of what's happening now? And if you start reporting on Saturday, are you leaving out atrocities that may have happened and perpetuated and led to this event. It's really, really hard, and people tend to see their own side either slighted or reflected in the coverage. Some people I know have have written in, they've responded to what they've heard on NPR, complaining that the coverage is one-sided on both sides. Fascinating. (laughs) Yes, yes, both sides. 
But again, that goes to the question of a news source that you trust. I mean, X, Elon Musk's site, formerly Twitter, has turned out to be in real time an undependable source. Uh, there was a video with doctored audio that tried to portray a CNN reporter, Calissa Ward, as an actor. And it turned out Elon Musk engaged with it and it was fabricated. Same thing, there was a, a video that depicted Israeli citizens being murdered by Hamas fighters. X flagged it as being an old video after it was shared four million times, including by Donald Trump Jr. Turns out it wasn't old, it was actually real. And so X's <laughs> fact checkers can't get it right. They allow bad stuff to get through. They stop stuff that turns out to be true. X, formerly Twitter, is an undependable site. And I don't understand why we can't break addiction to it that some people have. Yeah, it used to be a great site for tracking breaking news. And during the Arab Spring, I think Twitter was a very important tool in the Middle East. But over the last week, it's a cesspool. I try not to go there. But when I'm looking for real-time information, I used to go there. I'm not getting that kind of information anymore. I'm going to mainstream websites. I like to point out this whole issue about whether or not babies were really brutalized after they were murdered, whether or not they were beheaded. I, mean, I hate to even talk about this, but we still don't know at the time of this taping whether or not that happened. Challenging the veracity of that will lead you open to criticism from one side or the other. But I saw prominent media personalities retweet this. We even saw the president repeat it, and it's still not clear whether it happened. You know, the brutality that we've heard about that has been verified is really enough to make everyone be aghast at what happened. But the idea of beheading babies is just so horrific. I'd love to be able to make sure that it's true. I would never share it at this point. I still don't know. I think the president probably stepped too far when he said that he had seen these images as well. And with respect to the spread of, you know, this information war, misinformation war on Twitter, Elon Musk, it has to be said, I mean, he has made a blue check mark of authority mean the opposite of what it was supposed to mean. Yeah. And that is an upside down world. And a time like this, you see the consequences of. Meanwhile, I know you're on threads. Do you find it helpful or as helpful as Twitter used to be? Absolutely not. No. Um, I don't think it's well organized. It's not existing on desktops yet. I think it has a chance to be the successor, but we've got to figure out how to capture all of what was good about Twitter and make threads just copy that. I know Zuckerberg is sensitive about being accused of ripping off Twitter. It is a ripoff of Twitter. Let's make it the good ripoff of Twitter. Yeah, but he, he brought it up in running too fast because all of the things that we're seeing that are making it less attractive for viewers or readers are now making us not even consider it anymore. Bill, and the difficult thing is that Zuckerberg doesn't want to have that much news because he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He, he wants to bring people to threads, but he doesn't want the controversy that news brings. So that's difficult. If they don't set the parameters so that it will welcome news, you're not going to get the kind of traffic that Twitter always had. So they're kind of killing the opportunity for threads before they're even getting it launched. Yeah, and he's been through this before with Facebook. It's very difficult to have it both ways, as you say. Yeah. Speaking of that, by the way, and this is actually relevant to news coverage, what is happening as a result of Facebook changing the way that it actually elevates stories and the way that it doesn't. It is trying not to have as much news in the feed, and that has had a huge 
impact on journalists. When I left the editorship at the Times Union in 2020, we were chasing Facebook. You know, we really wanted to elevate our stories because we got a lot of traffic from it. And now Facebook is trying to not put news much on Facebook. And the result is that there's a downfall in digital traffic. It's one of the reasons why the Washington Post is in trouble. The digital audience of the Washington Post has sunk 28% since 2021. And that is in no small part because one of the platforms they were using to get it across was Facebook. But interestingly, National Public Radio abandoned Twitter a year ago, and mm-hmm. they're reporting that they saw little decline in their traffic. Although from a newspaper's perspective, I never saw a lot of traffic coming in from Twitter anyway. Right. Uh, my Facebook feed now is just full of puppies and recipes, <laughs> and it's kind of boring. Whenever I will try to share a news story on Facebook with my friends or in my feed, I find that it gets little traffic. He puts it in a closet someplace. And that this is not stuff that Facebook is accelerating in, in any way. And I find it's really diminished Facebook. You find puppies boring, Judy? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and kittens, too. I think you should go to TikTok and you get mesmerized by these videos. I know how to make a chicken parmesan sandwich and all the best pizzas. And uh, You know, it's it's crazy the way that they read what you start to look at and they keep giving more. I somehow get all kinds of stuff of people diving off high cliffs. I don't know how Are I Are you okay, Rex? I know. <laughs> what did I do to get your, that stuff? Your algorithm says daredevil. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sure that would be me. Actually, it's a terrible problem for news consumption because you can get constantly engrossed in stuff that isn't really newsworthy, that doesn't have value to look at because that's what keeps getting fed to you. But just to go back to the Facebook and the digital clicks diminishing now that he's Zuckerberg's not posting it as much, there was a conundrum. We we in the media work, in newspapers in particular, were annoyed that Facebook was posting our stories and they were getting all the revenue for them. So now they're not posting them and we're annoyed because we're not getting as many forwards and digital clicks. Can we have our cake and eat it too? I never, because I've been retired longer than you have, I never sensed that Facebook was bringing in a lot of traffic for us. But then again, we're a smaller community newspaper, so our content would have not been as interesting. Yeah, there hasn't been a substitute yet for Facebook for the digital. The the effort is to turn newsletters into that. That's why everybody is doing newsletters. I mean, I probably subscribe to 30 newsletters, and it's problematic because it fills my day if I'm not careful. Yeah, it's really too many. And, And imagine how much easier it was when all you had to do was read a newspaper in the morning and look at a newscast at night. <laughs> right. That seems like the great new business model that we should advocate for. One little product, open it up, read it from cover to cover, put it down and go about your day. Garden, <laughs> run, go to work. Judy uh, just invented the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. Everybody wants to be that one source, and there are still new ones being created. Uh, I've got a new newsletter called uh, uh, 1440. I can't remember what, why is it called that. But it's meant to be the unbiased, the straightforward, read, boring approach to news of the day in which you can get everything you need in five minutes. But everybody has tried for years to be that one source. 1010 wins news in New York. You give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. What a great slogan. But people these days are not as willing to look into a single source for information, or if they do, 
they may well look well, to. Well, they may be picking the wrong single yeah. source. Yeah. Don't rely on your smart speaker. I've done this before where I'll say, okay, Google, what's the news today? And you get 12-hour-old news. Or in some cases, if you have Alexa as your news source, if you ask them, was there corruption or was there a problem with the 2020 election? Alexa at some point, um, unless they've changed it, was saying, yes, indeed, there was. And they're basing it on a Substack article that challenged the results of the 2020 presidential election. So the fast and easy is not always the best way to get your news as well. Right. After The Washington Post did a story on that, on Alexa's flawed response on the 2020 election, then suddenly it was shut down. They say, well, now, I can't answer that question for you. And Uh, Google is saying that as well at this point. Yeah, right. Can't give it to you. Oh, by the way, the answer is no. Right. (laughs) Right. You think the House of Representatives would be able to tell us that as well. But like Google, they are saying we don't have enough information to tell you who was the accurately elected president of the United States. They say, though, I hold that every federal official in the United States knows damn good and well that the election of 2020 was fair. But that is not what they say in public, you know. Sorry. <laughs> we, we veered away a little bit. Before we leave the topic of the war in Israel, just can I say how inspiring it has been to see the reporters that work over there, that they are indeed putting their lives on the line. Not just the broadcast reporters. We're seeing print photographers, radio reporters. They're there, and they are very much in danger. And it's important that they are there on our behalf as a witness to what is happening. Amen. Thank you. Before we leave, we need to turn into a couple of other topics here. One is a very interesting effort underway that I think uh, many of us have tried to do uh, in effort to reach readers better. The New York Times is trying to shorten stories. And I think every newspaper editor has had this experience, right? Yeah, but the New York Times... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the New York that. Times is, is the authoritative source for most people. There are some who don't believe a word of it, but most people who in the media and the public view the New York Times as the best newspaper in the world. And the fact that they feel like they're going to cut, are they going to cut, cut stories the way USA Today did? I mean, that, that's not what the readers of the New York Times want. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, I I certainly tried to do this at the at the Times Union without much success. Uh, the Washington Post reports that the media critic uh, Eric Wimple at the Washington Post has noted this uh, effort now underway at the Times, and uh, refers to an effort by Max Frankel when he was the editor of the New York Times in in uh, 1987, saying that uh, he wanted to have a 1,500 word limit on stories that things above 1,500 words ought to be exceptional, he said. And uh, Wimple points out that by that standard, there's a lot of exceptional work because five stories on the front page of Monday's Times last week averaged 1,700 words. But and, then Max Frankel days are, are decades ago. Right. So it's not, there's no outside, there is not the, like you, you could be thinking, well, they want to do smaller stories so that they can cram more in the paper because business is not that good. New York Times is not does not have that problem. They just want shorter stories so they can keep people's attention, right? Well, but, but again, the people who read the New York Times don't have the t- the attention span as people who are reading the USA yeah. Today. Yeah. Right. On digital, you can post a story that's as long as you want it to be. The question is, how long will people be reading? And studies have shown that most people do not get that far into a story before they abandon ship and move on to another story. Digitally or print? Digitally, yeah, they, well, they, you can watch those eyes, eyeballs go, yeah. but it's true it's, it's harder to as well. read the paper. How do you deal in with this in, in audio? I mean, you've got people can go on, you probably have to limit 
how long you let people talk. You know, thank you for asking me that. The most popular product in American media is Joe Rogan's four-hour podcast. Oh. Uh, so I think huh. that these things are a little overblown. Here at, at AMC, we're, you know, we're always having this conversation about, I just got off the phone about this right before the show. Is this story, does it need to be six minutes long? Can it be four minutes long? But I think having the uh, the broadcast sort of structure makes you think about those things in a very strategic way. And we are constantly putting longer versions of things on the website. It's one of my favorite things about the WAMC News Podcast, which I make. There's no rule at all. Sometimes it's a 45-minute interview, and sometimes it's a six-minute segment, and it can be whatever it is because it's a podcast and it doesn't have to hit a station ID uh, at 5930. Great problem to have. Uh, I like the way that I've been brought up to think about fitting everything in a one-hour broadcast, and it becomes a sort of paramutual. If one story is going to be seven minutes, another one can't also be seven. It has to be closer to four. But I think these problems are kind of yesterday's war almost. But listen, by the way, at the numbers that Ian is citing, which is one of the great values of public radio, because you actually go into stories in depth. I mean, Absolutely. a four-minute, seven-minute broadcast, commercial uh, broadcasting wouldn't even consider anything of yeah, that. I point. was going to say one of the appeals, maybe the primary appeal of public radio news is that you can do long-form stories. Yeah. You don't hear them anywhere else. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, when I was a young guy in the mid-'80s, I was a TV reporter downstate for a year, and uh, I used to do three-and-a-half-minute packages which you know up here what you don't get a minute 15 for no. a package on a local tv station uh, nowadays it's quite remarkable people expect it to be fast-paced and move on to the next topic and you lose nuance you lose what's really impactful in news you know one of the dirty little secrets of print journalism however is the fact that reporters could pad the bottom of their stories with what we call B material, which is a rehash of the history of, of what's happened before. It's things that have been written, written and presented to the reader before, and it artificially um, inflates the size of the story. There are too many reporters out who are out there who think that long is good. And, yeah. um, well, what we, we've all heard or probably used the same line when a reporter turned in too long a story, we would say to them, what are you being paid by the inch? <laughs> because many of them were for a long time. Some of them were. <laughs> all right. That's all we have time for today. A really thoughtful conversation. Thanks, folks. That's Ira Fussfeld, Judy Patrick, Ian Pickus, and I'm Rex Smith. We thank our producer, Dave Gustina, and we especially thank you folks for joining us this week once again on The Media Project. Finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. Ting-ling-ling, newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are... The Media Project is a national production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include former Times Union editor and current Substack columnist of the Upstate American, Rex Smith, Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Ira Fussfeld, publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman, and WAMC News Director, Ian Pickus. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Now publishers are such interesting people. 
It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs> 